Down to Business on News Talk. Brought to you by FBD Travel Insurance for peace of mind when you travel. Visit fbd.ie today. The veterinary world is going the same way as medicine with ever increasing specialisation. The old veterinary staples of either running a small animal city clinic or a larger beast rural practice may soon disappear as more vets opt to specialise in heart ailments, tummy troubles or orthopaedic surgery like television's super vet. Delighted to be joined in studio now by Hugh Dillon from Troy Town Grey Abbey Equine Veterinary Services. Aoife Caulfield is from Just Cats Vets and Frank Clerken is the co-owner of Clerken Veterinary Hospitals in County Cavan. You're all very welcome, folks. Frank, we might start with you. Um, maybe you might tell us a little bit about you and your business. Well, we're a family-based practice in County Cavan. It was started initially, <coughs> initially by my father, and then we've two brothers, uh, Patrick and James, James' wife, Lydia, and uh, in the recent year now, we've uh, another graduate joined us, a uh, Romanian lady, Andrea. And we work, we're based between Cotillon and Virginia, and then we also have a poultry arm to our practice, and then we work with Kieran and Milling as well uh, in the field of pigs. So how much of your work then is sort of out in the field, so to speak, and how much is, do you have like a surgery? Uh, well, the two surgeries are, you know, the two small animal clinics and small animal hospital, they, they're they permanent. The okay. Lydia and uh, Andrea will be there all the time. <coughs> Myself and Father, James and Patrick, we would be between the between the clinics, in and out, and on the road a lot of the time, okay. on farm. Okay, so it's a kind of a multidiscipline practice then, oh, really? Very, very much Pretty so much covering all yeah, bases covering then, all bases, large yeah. and small animals. Large, small equine. Not to the same extent, say, as Hugh has here, because uh, most of most equines in our part of the country are a little bit more utilitarian or not not as not as uh, equine-based, but we've pigs and chickens and everything going on, yeah. Well, let's introduce Hugh, Hugh Dillon from Troytown Grey Abbey Equine Veterinary Service. Hugh, you're running some operation down there in County Kildare. Well, but we have quite a big operation. We have um, a big equine hospital and ambulatory practice. We have about 18 vets working in the practice, a total staff wow. of 40 people. Um, we also have a smaller, small animal compartment based in the Kildare Down itself, which has two vets and four nurses. Um, so we have recently um, become car- part of a corporate group which has benefited us enormously um, in, in running and, and, and progressing the practice. We might come back to that because yeah. uh, I, I, need, I, I need to understand it myself and I want our listeners to understand what, what, what the implications of being part of a corporate group are. So, um, and, and your business is around a long time. Was, was it Stan Cosgrave? Was Absolutely. A famous, famous and character. And he was the Shergar vet, was he not? He certainly was. Yeah. And Stan is still alive and he was a man way before his time. Yeah. And back in the 60s, um, his foresight in, in, in developing originally the Troytown Hospital was uh, a phenomenon. Okay, so that seems to me that on a scale, and again, not being from this trade, so to speak, but you're operating at a level where you have a hospital. It's it's basically A and E, a hospital, all sorts of specialist surgery for animals, large and small. Yeah, I mean the equine side, we can we can do mostly most things that can be done in a human hospital. We would try to aspire to whether it be MRI scanning or a bone scan or orthopaedic surgery or arthroscopy. That's amazing. Laparoscopy, yeah. etc. Yeah. Wow, truly amazing. Uh, our, our third guest is Aoife Caulfield and she's another specialist because she's got just cats vets. Uh, Aoife, tell us about your philosophy and your business, if you would. Um, so I was one of the, the founders of Just Cats Veterinary Clinic. So we were the first um, feline only clinic in Dublin. Um, it's something that's been kind of becoming more and more popular around the world, having cat only clinics. Um, and it's important for 
from it's a good business model and it's a good model of for welfare and behaviour of the cats as well. So um, obviously cats are stressy and cats owners get upset about going to the vet. So we create an environment where they can engage and come to the clinic regularly and comfortably without being worried about it. So we get to give the cats better health care and the owners have a better experience. And, and so it's a little bit different. So really, if uh, again, just to maybe use a live example, if mm-hmm. if if you're bringing a sick cat to a vet and there's a, a, a distressed pit, pit bull in the corner and there's mm-hmm. a whole lot of yeah. stuff going on, yeah. that just stresses the cat out even more. Yeah, barking dogs, smells, yeah. noises, even things, you know, bleach. We don't use bleach because it upsets cats. So it's uh, it's it's really important to kind of appeal to their behaviour and it gives a better experience for them and for the clients. Okay, and is this a model that you saw somewhere else, Aoife, in yeah, terms of... Yeah, it's, it's worldwide. So most, most cities in the developed world now will have cat-only clinics. Um, so it's something that Dublin was kind of lacking and after the recession when I came back I had a look around and said you know nobody's doing this Um, and then I got involved with village vets who um, are a larger group so Just Cats is part of Village Vets I'm the clinical director for Village Vets as well as being involved with Just Cats and uh, so we're the largest independent veterinary practice in Ireland so we've 10 clinics wow. um, 85 staff and yeah I have the, the pleasure of, of that job as well and if, if, if you would explain that for us then mm-hmm. so the, the Just Cats is a specialist unit mm-hmm. that's part of this fairly big conglomerate is that right? Well I don't <laughs> conglomerate so it's a family practice um, but there's 10 branches now at this stage Just Cats is one of them so we have um, 9 other centres around Dublin and Mead Southside Northside wow. and Mead So how many vets are employed in the practice? We have 35 vets, 45 nurses and 10 support staff. Well, that's a serious business. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we we'll go back to you, Frank, about the, the, the business of being a vet. Uh, what sort of, like, obviously you're managing people, you're, man- you're dealing with customers, you're dealing with distressed animals, uh, but the actual nuts and bolts of running the business, what do you have to be good at? You have to be able to, you have to be able to organise, you have to be able to think on your feet, you have to be able to adapt. Yeah, and you're going to have to adapt probably more and more as changes are occurring in the veterinary market as it stands. You really have to be able to. You have to get up early and go, and you got to work long hours. Yes, right. it might be long hours, but if you enjoy it, it's not so bad. But you really have to be organised. You have to say, I have a day, I have A, B, C, and D to do, and I have A, B, C to do such and such for me, and get it organised and make sure everything's laid out and that there's a pattern to it. Because on top of that, you're always going to have, unfortunately, in Ireland, or fortunately, you, we still have the uh, the job of actually being available to go out on farm or be available to take an animal in at any time. And once you have that unknown element, it doesn't matter how much you plan on the day, things can change and there will be changes that will occur. So you really have to be ready for that. And could I suggest that in, in your in your particular case where you've got four vets, like time is money. So if if you're being dragged around the county, for, for instance, on a kind of an ad hoc basis, uh, you, and you don't get you only get six calls done when you could have ordinarily gone done 12 does that kind of does that happen often it will yeah there will be days like that yeah. not all be days like that because as you get I suppose when you have the experience of running it you'll find okay everybody's in such and such a location and you cut that down to a, to a minimum but you really have to it comes back to the duty of care yeah. here we are and uh, whether you like it or not 
you'll get a vet as quickly as, you know, half an hour to an hour is the most you'll ever probably wait for a vet. So to provide that service, yes, you have to, you have to be available. You have to coordinate it around around the work that you've already planned out in the day. But it's, it's a vital part of practice that it continues to do that. Yeah. Uh, Hugh, can I ask you about... Um I know we've often talked about the the blood sport, the blood uh, stock industry and its importance in in Irish society, the value of it, the great tradition we have in terms of horse racing and the international reputation that we have around that great sport. Where does you clearly play a pivotal part in all that in terms of providing care uh, for racehorses? Yeah, I think, well, the bloodstock industry is a huge industry in Ireland. And, you know, 70% of the horses that are born in Ireland every year are exported and sold. So, therefore, a big part of our business is in, you know, broodmare management, stud management, looking after young foals, yearlings, two-year-olds until they go to sales and then go abroad. Um, the racing is very important. And obviously, Aidan O'Brien and Dermot Weld, and we have a lot of very, very good trainers who are very successful. So that's backed up as well. But the production side is, is really important. Yeah. And um, in terms of the capital investment in the likes of your business, that's got to be absolutely significant if you're talking about specialist medical equipment. Obviously, there's things like hoists and all that sort of stuff involved. Is that right? Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, I was just saying to the day that when I when I qualified, you know, my important, most important diagnostic instrument was my hand, my eyes and my ears. And there wasn't much else. But now we are have got digital X-ray, ultrasound scanners, endoscopes. MRI scanners, it's exponentially increasing. And so one of the difficulties in surviving is actually, you know, the surviving the ratio of the exponential cost of equipment to actually fees generated. Yeah. And because, yeah. um, you know, like the other day we went down and did an examination on a horse for sale to Hong Kong and I had 120,000 euros worth of diagnostic equipment at the back of the car. Wow. So wow. it's 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 it, it is getting more and more difficult to 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 you know, to get onto that ladder and to provide that, that level of, of, of equipment. So do you have a scenario now that you've got in-house accountants and, you know, people looking after administration and IT and that kind of stuff then? Is it like, has it reached a whole other level? Well, I mean, this is one of the, the dilemmas that we had because in running our operation, you know, being a vet is a wonderful job. It's very interesting and a clinician, does, we all love being clinicians, but it's a business as well. Of course it is. And as the businesses are getting bigger or the practices are getting bigger, you know, they are very, very complex businesses. They aren't just simple, as, as Frank alluded to, is trying to organise a day where it can change at any, at, at any time when an emergency comes in and arranging staff, you know, drug ordering, getting your VAT returns. The whole business side of it is is very, very complex. Yeah. And, and I think that is is, is where you know, is causing big changes in, in, in the veterinary profession going forward. Aoife, in terms of, of, a, of a qualification, uh, veterinary like pharmacy is, I don't know what you need, 600 points or something like that, but it's high. Um, does the academic, uh, I suppose, entry, the high academic entry, does, does that give us the best vets? Uh, just maybe your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting point. So at the moment we have, we do, we have the smartest, the brightest 
people uh, working as vets, one of the things a little bit that's lacking in the veterinary education is business and communication and that side of life. So what happens is that a lot of our graduates come out and a lot of then the practice owners don't have business backgrounds or education in that, that area. So we do have bright people and it's not that people aren't capable, but we don't have the background in it. So um, as Hugh was kind of explaining, now the benefits of scale is that we can start to put in place people that can control the business because it's really difficult to be a vet and see clients and give your clients the care they deserve and the attention, but then also pay attention to, um, you know, the business. And and, and, and in terms of training, when, when you're being trained as a vet, mm. are you trained like is the, is the business focus and the communications focus two of probably your bigger issues? Is there enough focus put on that academically? Well, currently there's none. Is that zero, right? Zero, zero. Yeah, I did one elective module one year on uh, business amazing. management one. Um, but what actually at the moment, I think UCD are reviewing it. So they, they came in to see us recently and discuss what we need from vets going forwards. And, you know, just to get a perspective from the industry. And they're trying to switch the focus um, that there is a lot more emphasis on communication and, and business. So uh, hopefully coming going forward. That's amazing. We'll have, we'll have that. Couple of texts come in. Let's have a look at them. Uh, if a 10 year old dog has a heart murmur, grade one, or two and is in good form otherwise should he go on medication straight away or wait till is it symptomatic that's from Mary anybody help me with that I can help with that if <laughs> okay you if you wouldn't mind Eva. <laughs> um so uh, there is um, there was a lot of research done recently on this area and if they have a murmur they should go and have a, an echocardiogram with um, an ultrasonographer or a cardiologist um, to see if there's any changes present so they mightn't have symptoms but if there are physical changes in the heart they need to start on, on medication. How much would that cost to typically? Oh, um, an ultrasound two to three hundred euros to have a heart scan done now it might need ECGs or x-rays alongside it depends on the on the case and then medication wise maybe a euro a day would kind of be the long term on those things people spend a lot of money do they not mm-hmm. on their pets mm-hmm. uh, does it sometimes shock you that people would almost uh, you know sacrifice other comforts to make sure that their animal do we do we over fuss are we too protective and too giving to our animals um, I don't think so. And I th- I suppose um, the other guys here, they're dealing with animals that are business and I'm dealing with animals that are family. And that, that is the difference. So it's no more than you care yeah. for family members and friends, their friends and family, these animals. So people want to provide the best care for them. Um, so whether that's one of the benefits is if you can if you can have pets insured um, or like we have a pet health plan at the moment that kind of covers the day to day costs of coming to the clinic. If you can get involved in those kind of things, you can provide great care for your pet without having to um, fork out the... And is, the is pet insurance now very common? No, it's in the UK it's usually common. So in the UK you'd have 80 or 90% of pets in most clinics would be insured. Um, and then they have the freedom to do what is necessary. But in here we're, we've low rates, maybe 20-30%. Um, Frank Eva mentioned there that uh, <laughs> the difference between um, a pet as, 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 as a, a family member and then a, an animal as a business, i.e. a a cow or a heifer or a, a sheep or whatever. Do do people looking after animals differentiate in your view? Definitely when you go onto a farm, there's a monetary value on, every, on everything. Like There's no doubt about it. But uh, farmers in Ireland are still very much farmers that are close to their stock. Yeah. You Yes, you, ha- you have the situation where you, with some units you'll go to there, you know, it's a numbers game. But by and large, most Irish farms are still very close to their farms. It's probably what makes Irish farms work 
because they're they're close to it. If you look at a situation where you go to, there's a manager and under him is another manager and then you farm staff. Yeah. yeah when you get into those bigger units, you will find that there's a, a, something of a disconnect. Whereas most people are still so familiar with their cows. For instance, they're bringing them in and out twice a day. They know every one of them animals. They're, 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 they're part of their working life to see them every day. And you will find Irish, Irish farmers will care for their animals to the best that they can. They'll, they're going to be sensible about it. There'll be yeah. a decision have to be made at some stage, but they're still very much attached. How do you um, upscale, so to speak, operationally for things like calving and lambing and those kind of seasonal things that come about? What are the impacts of things like that on your business? The impact of it is, I suppose, we, we run it in terms of, if you compare, like, we're, we haven't got 35 vets, we haven't got 18 vets or 40 vets. We, 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 we probably just, we work harder in that period of time. Right. It uh, it may not be the, along you know, it may not be along the lines of the more corporate type model, but you keep, we've effectively kept kept it smaller as such. Getting vets is also is one of the other is a massive issue. Like you alluded to it, people getting very very high points. Do they necessarily want to want to work in a rural environment? Do they want to work around the country? Probably not. But uh, it's part of the season, and it's also a season that has changed dramatically over the last last number of years because these patterns have been spread out. They're not just ne- necessarily as compact. You have a busier year year round as opposed to a, you know a three three or four weeks or six or eight weeks. Why in is that? Time. It's probably the nature of of just. The, because the, the way people of, farm now and the way people farm now the type of cattle that they have the you know the compact dairy 365 doesn't just work to the same extent as they might like uh, Hugh there's another text in here from Sarah as a vet myself and many peers are leaving the country due to low wages any thoughts from the vets currently being interviewed on this uh, low wages people leaving the country qualified vets yeah I mean there's there's no doubt that the um, the workload um, and work-life balance issues for veterinary is a big, big problem. And um, the salaries and the income that vets generate relative to the work they do is probably much lower than other equivalent professions. So like a, an accountant, a solicitor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. And especially starting off, I mean, re- I mean, for the first three or four years, vets coming out after college, you know, the fee structure is extremely low and poor. Okay. Um, so there's a long, there's a long sort of uh, incubation period, let's call it, before you can ever rate, rate, make any real money. Like, you know, it, it's like an apprentice period where, where, you know, these people kind of learn their trade and the younger graduates can learn the trade and actually, you know, ge- generate income for the, for the practice. Yeah. Um, and, you know, perhaps this is why maybe we are looking at other models. And um, I know the corporate model is one of the models. Yeah, we said we'd come back to yeah. that. Maybe explain that for us, if you would. So is it a kind of, as I would understand it, is it like an association of people that provide, uh, that have services then sort of collectively provided to them, like accounting services, like marketing services, like buying centrally, that type of stuff? Well, I mean, there are two, there are a number of different options. One option is where a veterinary practice can incorporate itself and it's purely owned by by the vets, um, which offers an advantage of, you know, buying equipment. So as a corporate structure, you can buy equipment far more efficiently with capital write-offs uh, than if you buy it as a partnership. Yeah. But more recently, and it's more established in the UK and on the continent, is where you have lay corporates. You actually got, you know, companies who will, along the lines of Specsavers, or Vision Express, it's, we're quite familiar with it now with dentists. Dentists now have incorporation, um, the pharmacies and, um, you know, the opticians. 
So it's along those lines where, where you know, a, a corporate company will come in and bring expertise, the business expertise okay. of, of running the practice. And is there any danger with that then, I suppose, you know, in terms of the, the intimacy of the care? Uh, does, it, does, it, does it maybe distance the practice uh, from the, what, what Frank was yeah. talking about I earlier? I, I can only speak from our, our personal experience which is very much that um, the, 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 the corporate structure itself said, you know your business. We want you to run your business exactly as you have run it. Um, you know your clients. Um, they have no input in our, on our pricing structure. Um, everything that we do is exactly as, as we have done. Okay. Um, Eva, can I ask you um, about this text, which I think is interesting. I'm all for medical advancement, but I would be of the opinion that sometimes it isn't fair to prolong the life of an animal. For me, it would be come down to the quality of life for that animal. I've heard of people treating elderly dogs and getting into debt. Uh, this is after a terminal diagnosis. Any thoughts on that? We we kind of are guided by the principle of that we can't cause suffering. So we, we will only in good faith go ahead and treat something um, where we know that the quality of life will remain close to 100 percent. If we if we feel that they're suffering, we're not going to persist. But people are, oh, you know, if, if it has cancer, just put it down. Don't go down that road. But actually, if you look at it, there are ways to treat term, you know, things that are considered terminal in a dog where you can do it without causing suffering. So it might be a treatment or a surgery and then you have a resolution or maybe not complete remission, but you have a period of time where they are in good health, well and comfortable and will put great effort into ensuring that the quality of life stays high. But it's not, no, no, none of us are going to persist where there's suffering caused. Is putting down animals one of the more difficult parts of the job? It can be. It depends on the circumstance. So in general, our clients are great and are willing to do what they can and what is fair. Um, we don't often come into the circumstances where we're putting down a healthy young animal. It's not something that we any of us want to do. And oftentimes, if you do have a situation where an animal is sick and, um, you know, doesn't have a hope of a quality of life in a way, it's offering um, it's offering relief. So it is sad and it can be hard depending on your relationship with the client. It can it can be difficult to different difficult time but ultimately if you're acting in the interests of the animal you you're comfortable you're doing the right thing yeah yeah uh, frank finally t- uh, to you um the practice as you, as you alluded it uh, your brothers uh, family unit uh, four to six vets is that a model that can be sustainable like the what i would call the all creatures great and small type model uh, the more the more romantic idea that some of us might have about a veterinary pra- practice is that sustainable in into the future or will you be forced to move sort of towards Hughes direction do you think uh, over the period You'd of definitely time like to be in a position where you could run as a limited company yes mm. uh, do you want a position where some guy coming in starts with us tomorrow and uh, moves on to another practice and then faces the reality that practices around are being bought up by spec saver type models. Yeah. And on, he, he's basically faced with the future where he'll never be, be his own practice owner or have his own run, own and run his own veterinary practice. Well, I think that's a good point. And you can make the point that, OK, it's your own, it's, you know, it's your own baby and that's that's why you put more into it and that's why you work the longer hours and all the rest. But then if it's not your own baby and you're paid to work from eight o'clock in the morning till six in the evening, and it's coming up to half five. I figure it. Do you yeah. know what? I go on. I'm not going to stay on. And when, if it starts to become a model whereby it's a job and I do my hours and I'm in and I'm out and I'm paid for so long, so be it. 
But I think that would be very unfortunate. I do yes, too. Yes, company as a as a limited company, it'll have a great advantage for Irish vets if they can be limited companies. Should they all be bought up? Will you see a situation where you'll have rose, you know, take the nice ones all around the west, the, the east coast of Ireland, down into the south, the larger practices are all picked up very quickly, packaged in together. You ring a vet two o'clock in the morning. Well, we have a vet coming on at six. Uh, he'll be with you at six o'clock. It's it's not, so not a, what you want to hear not, as a consumer. It's not, it's, not, it's not great for a consumer. And yeah. then if you're going to add all the layers of a, a large corporate or a hedge fund or somebody that's going to come in and invest the money and sort of say, well, we want to return here. Yeah. So we buy up several practices, we package them all together and we send them on to the next hedge fund and the next hedge fund. At some stage, somebody's going to call, you know, Someone has to shout stop. And the consumer will end up paying. Okay, well, listen, it's a fascinating uh, world that you guys live in. I'd like to thank Frank Clerken, co-owner of Clerken Veterinary Hospitals up there in Cavan. Aoife Caulfield from Just Cats Vets. Thank you, Aoife. And Hugh Dillon, thank you from Troytown. Uh, Grey Abel Equine uh, Veterinary Services down there in Kildare. Up next, Joe Harty from Harty Oysters in Dungarvan Bay joins me to talk about the Cork Oyster and Seafoods Festival of 2018. Stay tuned.